This podcast, number 850, with author Dave Anderson, is brought to you by Dr. Allison Kay, the author of a new book entitled The Dragon Creatrix, Conversations with a Female Spiritual Teacher for These New Times. In our interview together about her new book, we discuss the many facets that affect and block the flow of different types of energy that we seek to bring into our life, such as abundance energy. This book covers topics such as love, money, sex, body image, relationship harmony, just to name a few. If you want to learn more about Dr. Allison Kay, please visit her website at www.alisonjkay.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with author Dave Anderson about his new book entitled Intentional Mindset, Developing Mental Toughness and a Killer Instinct. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I have with me from Agoura Hills, California, Dave Anderson. And we're going to be speaking about his new book, Intentional Mindset, Developing Mental Toughness and a Killer Instinct. Well, you're not a killer, Dave, but, you know. <laughs> not a killer in the literal sense. You know, in the literal gotta, sense. Attack mentality for the things that matter most. I'll tell you, and I'll tell you, the foreword of your book uh, by Greg Gard. Is that how you say it? G-A-R-D? Yes, right. Greg Gard, the head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers men's basketball team. Um, really kind of set the tone for who Dave is. Um, great person you had writing your foreword for you. Um, I want to tell the listeners a little bit about you. Dave is Mr. Accountability. Uh, he is a leading international speaker and author on personal and corporate performance improvement. Uh, after an extensive career in the automotive retail business, Dave, along with his wife, Rhonda, began Learn to Lead, and that's learntolead.com, learntolead.com for all my listeners, in 1999 with the goal of helping individuals and organizations reach their personal and corporate potential. He's the author of 15 books. I'm going to say that again, 15, because I don't always have people that have made it past two or three, and some even one, and the host of the wildly popular podcast, The Game Changer Life. Dave's no-nonsense message impact uh, readers and listeners in over 145 countries. Dave speaks to 100 plus times a year to a wide variety of businesses, athletic teams, and nonprofits. He's the creator of Red Belt 4M. Uh, which we'll talk about, a virtual training program for amateur and professional athletes, coaches, and athlete staff. Well, Dave, quite a bio. You are quite the consummate speaker. You're out there on the road. Again, for my listeners, we'll have links to Amazon to this book. We'll have links uh, to Dave's website as well. Now, I mentioned in there that you had Greg Gard, the head coach of the University of Wisconsin uh, men's basketball team, write the foreword of the book. And Greg credits you in that speech that you gave to the team to get them out of losing streak. They weren't having a very good um, year there. Uh, things were kind of gone south. He said, you told your personal story and the why. And I think this is important. You know, we have Simon Sinek who focuses on why, but you really do a very good job of why. Can you tell us a bit about the per your personal story and the power of how the power of why has been so important in your life and then giving that message to so many others. 
Sure. You know, the, the team was struggling and uh, they were getting hated on on social media and in the media and, and they were in a bit of a downward spiral. So uh, I mentioned, you know, you've got to embrace the struggle. And I told him about when I was struggling and you really have a choice to do one of two things. Uh, use that struggle in some way to benefit you, to get stronger, wiser, better, or just become a victim and start going through the rest of the season, assuming the position and being the bag rather than the boxer. And we really want to be the boxer and not the bag. And I told him about when I was their age, I was part of a family restaurant business that had gone broke and the rest of my family left town. I did not. I stayed. I moved into a house that was infested with rats. I lived there a year with no furniture and I went out and I got three different jobs, but my mindset started to get formed at that age to let and let struggles focus me, let them focus me on what I could control and to become more grateful for the things that I was doing and not just to wait for something to happen, not to wait for something to change, but to start changing something about me. No one was going to come and rescue me. I had to work my way out, not wind my way out or wait my way out. And I said, we all have that choice when we're struggling. You you can be the boxer or the bag. You can find a way to use it or, or you can be used by it. And I told him about my why and how my why has changed, that you've got to get clear on your reasons. And that's really what your why comprises. And these guys needed to go back and refine their why. Why did they get up in the morning? And why should anybody else even care that they got up in the morning? I mean, what did they want for themselves and who was counting on them to come through? A lot of them had families that were hoping they would make it to the to the NBA so they could help them financially. They come from tough, you know, tough stories, some of these kids. Yep. Others uh, wanted to go on and, and, you know, and start businesses and so forth. And so I talked a lot about the why must answer those two questions. What do you want for yourself? Who's counting on you? And And until you're really clear about that and until you really define it, and you're reviewing it every morning, you don't have reasons compelling enough to fight for what you want. You're going to let up, you're going to make excuses, but when your why is strong and compelling, it trumps your excuses. You can't afford to make them. You give yourself fewer foolish options because what you want matters so so much that you can't afford to do the things that are going to make it harder to get there. And uh, I gave them a why workbook and had them work on their why and, and just really itemize what it was, review it, and uh, we had a great game the next game, and it kind of started to turn things around. We beat the number two team in the country, who was 17-0. and 0, And when they left uh, Madison, they were 17-1, and 1, and it built some confidence, and the team went on to do really well for the next couple seasons. Well, Greg, uh, Greg credits you for that. I, and I think, you know, look, it, it, the inspiration you can give somebody, however it uh, might be given, um, it's important to get people inspired and to have that why and that goal. You know, I don't know if you've seen this, but you're certainly in my age bracket, so you would know uh, Warren Miller, the ski bum. And he used to do those movies and go around the country. And there was a documentary just that I saw on Netflix. It, I don't know if you've seen it. But his life was not like people thought. They thought, oh, you know, here's this guy out here. He gets to just take these ski bum movies and, and do whatever. A, an incredible journey and an incredible man. I had no idea the adversity that he went through, the numbers of things mm -hmm. that happened. First wife died from cancer. His mother and his sister stole all his money. Uh, second wife divorced him, um, lost all his money again, went through bankruptcy. And, you know, people look at him and they go, well, I know the guy for the ski movies, right? But yet he always had a why. He would always wake up and say, you know, and I, and I don't want to take all your time, but I think this was great. 
I set three alarm clocks in the morning, one at 4.30, one at 4.40, and one at 4.45. And one of them is by my bed. The other is in the shower and uh, someplace cold, he said. And he said, every morning, that's what he did. And he said, if you wake up past 4.30, and I know this sounds kind of cliche, he said, you're never going to make it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, I love I, the guy. I get up at four, so I, I've, I've got that working for me. So, so you I'm got. Doing, so you got it. Man. Now you define intentional because this book is intentional mindset um, as one purpose or on purpose, deliberate. We always say, "What is your on purpose day? What does it look wow. like?" You state that one, two punch is a the one two punches killer instinct and mental toughness. I agree with you. Um, can you share with our listeners about how one, anyone out there listening right now would go about creating this kind of mindset and have these two traits? Because, you know, the punching bag concept is a great concept, right? You're going to be the punching bag or you're going to be the guy punching, you know, you're going to be the bag or you're going to be the guy punching the bag. Um, sometimes, you know, people just get tired, Dave. And they feel like they're depressed and they're down. And what are you going to tell them to keep keep on keeping on? Well, especially this last year, you know, we've yeah. all been through a lot of things, and it's yeah. it's been it's been stressful. And first of all, Greg, let me just differentiate that the difference between killer instinct and mental toughness. A lot of people kind of lump them together, but they're very different. Some people have one, but not the other. A killer instinct really gets you started, and mental toughness gets you finished. A killer instinct is about attacking a new goal. It could be a workout program, a new diet, a new job, starting a new business. Uh, Mental toughness is fighting to the finish, not just starting it, but actually working through disappointments, setbacks, defeats, frustrations, delays to get to that goal. And some people have one, but not the other. They're always starting something. They're always jumping in and, and beginning something new and attacking a new goal. But when it gets tough, when it takes too long, it fizzles, and then they're on to something else. Other people, it's hard to get them started. But once they're on something, they fight. I mean, they are on it, and they will stick with it, and they're tenacious and so forth. And so when I'm talking about intentional, to really have both and to develop both, because we can increase our measure of both of those in our lives. And it's very applicable if you're trying to Find a new mate. Uh, you you know, you maybe you've been through a tough relationship or you're in a tough relationship. You need mental toughness. If you're trying to find somebody new, you just can't just sit back and wait for it to happen. If you're trying to make an A on a college course or start a business, there's nothing these two traits don't apply to that's worthwhile. And so intentional means on purpose. We have to be more deliberate. We can't wait for things to change to light that fire. And so in the book, I actually list 10 traits. 10 traits that you can intentionally work on that will fuel both killer instinct and mental toughness. And I lay out a whole matrix for you to be able to do that. And most people, though, they're not intentional with their mind, Greg. They're intentional with their body. They know if they want to get in shape, they got to be intentional. They got to go to the gym. They've got to start doing certain things, stop doing certain things, do those things even when you don't feel like it. But there's a goal. Part of their why makes them work through that tough stuff to get to that goal. But most people leave their mindset up for grabs. They're not intentional. I ask people in my seminars, how many of you would agree that having the right mindset is more influential to success than skills, knowledge, talent, experience? Everybody raises their hand because if the mindset's not right, those other things don't get activated. And I tell them, I agree with you. Now, let me ask you this. How much time do you spend every day intentionally working on yours? 
and you can hear a pin drop because people realize they just admitted it's a really big deal, but they're not doing anything intentional. They are not reviewing their why. They're not doing something in the morning, reviewing their goals, affirmations, reading something inspirational, motivational. We can't just wait to feel better. We have to act until we do feel better. So even when it's tough, especially when it's tough, we've got to pay more attention to our mindset and get more on purpose about what we're doing and what we're not doing. Now, when you can hear that pin drop, why do you believe that is? I mean, we can look at external um, motivators, internal motivators. We can look at what the subconscious does. We know the psychology. Yet even knowing all this stuff, right, knowing it doesn't create the action. So many of the personal growth people today that are studying the biology behind it are looking at the endorphins that get released, uh, the chemical reactions in the body, what releases that. Why do you believe, I mean, because look, when a runner gets a runner high, just like you said, he works on his body, they feel good, they see the change. Uh, When they work on their mind, so whether it's the subconscious or the conscious, Uh, My question for you is, why do you think, and that's my next question here, they're so damn complacent, being complacent, right? It's complacency is the threat of the problem that you say to create clear sign you're you're unconsciously complacent. How would you recommend that they're the way to avoid being unconsciously complacent? Most people don't even realize they're complacent. That's why I call it unconsciously. They're very successful and they don't realize they're complacent because they have the wrong idea of what complacency is. They think it means you're lazy or lethargic. That's not what it means. If you look it up in the dictionary, it talks about being calmly content, smugly self-satisfied. And if you're doing really well, that describes you in most cases. The guy that's failing and drowning and about to go under for the third time, I think it's fair to say he's not smugly self-satisfied. Make a change, (laughs) he'd take a risk, he'd do whatever he has to do to get out of that situation. But man, it's when we're doing well, when we're setting records, or when there's no visible crisis, when all the seas appear calm. Even if we're not doing really well, we've learned to live with what we've got and we've stopped aspiring for more and we're comfortable with it. And so we don't realize it. We think complacency is someone else's issue, but it's, it's got us. And so it's really tough, though, to become complacent when you intentionally work on yourself. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book is if you are going to survive success, and it's, I just talked to a group in Dallas this week about surviving success. They're, they're blowing the numbers out of the water. They're having these incredible records. And it's like, you know, a lot of people can't survive success. They crawl into a hammock and start to enjoy the view instead of look for the top, looking for a higher mountain when they're atop the peak they're on. And so to do that, you've got to, you've got to compete less against others and more against yourself. You know, if you're doing really well and everybody's behind you, you can get content. You can get content. If somebody's way ahead of you and you think you'll never catch up, you can just learn to live where you're at. But if you're competing with who you were yesterday, every day is a challenge. It's energizing. There are ways to improve. You'll never get complacent for long. If you are competing with the attitude you had yesterday, the character choices you made yesterday, the daily routine you had yesterday, that's what I lay out in the book, different ways to grade yourself on those 10 traits over a 70-day period. And so if we can shift our focus from competing with others, because comparison can kill contentment, it can kill contentment. If if I'm if someone's doing better than I am, it, it can make me not happy with where I'm at, even if I've grown. Right. And if, if I'm if I'm 
much better than somebody else and they're way down there. I may not even be better than them because I'm better than I used to be. They're just worse than I am. And so it, it's it's going to skew my view. So if, if you talked about that to this group in Dallas and I, and I have a question, you know, because when I was uh, younger and in the uh, million dollar round table, I was an insurance producer um, I used to ride around in my car and listen to Norman Vincent Peale. And there's a spiritual side to this. And I like to speak about that for a second, because, you know, when you get these, these high peak, peak, peak performance times in your life where you've had a killer year, you know, it's like, that's what the insurance industry thrived on was, you know, people that had high ego drive, right? The auto industry looks for high ego drive people too, as well. Absolutely. That was one of the tests I had to take. The question I, the thing that I found though, is that it, it wasn't sustainable. You could keep trying to go get more, but you weren't as satisfied, even though you got more. What is it that is going to make us content? You know, and that really when depends, is enough enough? That really varies depending on the person and, and their values and so forth. But yeah. I, I I think there's great satisfaction with most people in in growing and being better today than I was yesterday and handling things better today than I once did. And and eventually those things, you know, will bring fruit into our lives. A lot of times people think they're going to get content when they make enough money or when they find that right person, but no one's responsible for our happiness. Obviously, that has to start with, with within. From but I within. would say, Dave, too, not to interrupt you, but you know, you're know, you a philanthropic guy. You made a donation to our charity. And I look at things when giving back makes the soul of a person grow more. Okay, I've hit a peak at sales. I made whatever I made, whenever I made it. And I'm saying it, where I get sustenance, and I think you do as well, is you reach these certain peaks. And what you now have to look for is not the extrinsic motivators, the house, the car, the whatever it is. You're looking for the intrinsic ones, the purpose, the That's meaning, right. the significance, right? right? And there's a balance. What has Dave Anderson done to kind of balance that? Because I know you're you're highly balanced. You know, um, it, 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 it's changed a lot, uh, my focus and so forth. And I'm glad you brought that up because one of the areas we grade ourselves on daily when we're talking about a trait like rigor is, did you add value to others today? Right. So did you add value to others? I mean, I don't think a good daily routine is complete until you've added value to others. When I talk about the why and I was thinking about my own life, I created a why workbook and it's divided into five categories. And yeah, you have material things in there and there's nothing wrong with wanting nice things, you know, if you're working hard right. for them, but you don't want those things to possess you. But one of the areas are virtue reasons. So we have material reasons. We have virtue reasons. What type of person are you trying to become? Are you trying to become less angry, you know, more patient, uh, more generous? Uh, one, of the, one of the reasons are external reasons. Who do you need to help? Who's counting on you to come through? Is there a social cause? that you want to make a difference with? How can you give yourself away there? One of the reasons, one of the categories is legacy. What do you want to live on after you're gone? Are you, do you want to write a book? Do you want to create something? Are you mentoring someone in a very intentional way that will go on and, and do greater things than you? So I try to expand people's vision of what their why is. And I think when you start getting into these other categories, 
you know, your life has a lot more meaning. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I was living with rats, I wasn't thinking about helping anybody else. <laughs> right. You were right? trying but to get rid of the rats. I needed to eat and I needed a <laughs> pair of shoes that, that, that I could have. I wore the same pair for a year. So our why changes throughout our life. Right. Keeping it relevant and compelling to where we're at. Otherwise, you, you start getting all the toys and all the acclaim, and you're like that kid that opens up the last present on Christmas, and is this all there is? There's that emptiness. There was all this anticipation for all this time, and now it's over, and you have this empty feeling, and we don't want that to be our life. So we have to continually redefine and expand our why to find that purpose and to truly be content. I agree. And I think this year with the COVID, I think people, Dave, have really looked at their finitude. They've seen, uh, you know, I've lost four people this uh-huh. last year, um, not all of them to COVID, actually none of them. But the point is they're lost two brothers and two very good friends, one 47 years and one like uh, 25 years. And so, you know, you, you see that and every day is a gift and every day is gratitude and acceptance for what is. And, you know, you state that the why fuels the way. Um, how would you advise the listeners in the audience about creating this compelling why? Because it is the purpose. Yeah, because where do you start, right? So we have a free book on our website. People can go and download. It looks like this. And it's in a section of our website called the Insider Club, which is free to join. I make it all free so no one has an excuse not to do it. So you go to the Insider Club at learntolead.com. And there's all kinds of resources there, but one of them right. is the Why Workbook. Okay. And it explains it. It's a great exercise to do with your spouse, by the way. It's a great exercise to do with your teammates to help them get in touch with their why. If you're managing people, you need to know what moves them. You, you can't move people if you don't know people. And so it walks you through the five categories. It gives you insights into each one. It gives you a place to kind of summarize it. And then I always recommend people have some type of mindset routine early in the morning. Uh, First of all, avoid certain things that are going to take a dump on your mindset, if you'll pardon the expression, too much news and the toxic media and so forth. But at the same time, be intentional about reviewing your why, reviewing your priorities for the day, listening to something inspirational. And so after you complete this, it's not something you put on a shelf. I keep my why on my phone for when I travel. I, I just went before I leave the house. If you know, now that I'm back to commuting, before I leave the house, I want to be locked in like a laser on why I'm doing what I'm doing that day. What's at stake if I don't do it well? I mean, our foundation feeds over 400 orphans a day. And so I can't afford if I don't really feel good today not to go do something. Yeah, I have to do it anyway, then I'll feel better. And when you get really locked in on whatever that purpose is, you're going to be more persistent that day. You're going to attack the day. You're not going to make, you don't have time for the excuses. Right. Things you don't feel like doing, you're going to do anyway because there's too much at stake not to do them. But without that why, you lose your way. It's the old saying is true. You lose your way when you lose your why. Well, and I think, you know, reflection is important. I think giving people, you know, I had a gal on here as a researcher from Harvard University. It's called Time Smart. And, you know, she said, you know, what's really interesting in the Western culture is we revere people whose calendars are full. But in the Eastern culture, they revere people who have time. What's more valuable, happiness dollars or the dollars that are really that you're running after? You know, and it, it, it's really compelling to during this time that we've just gone through to look at 
uh, reflection, just like you're saying. And, you know, in your chapter on attitude, because it all begins with attitude. I remember listening to Norman Vincent Peale, hundreds of his tapes. I'd sit in the car and I, it, it was plugged in. When I say tapes, these were cassettes and it wasn't, and it wasn't just Earl Nightingale. It was Norman Vincent Peale. It was Earl Nightingale. It was all of those people. That's what I listened to growing up. Well, um, part of the reason you were on the million dollar round table, you started getting your mindset right early in life. Believe me, if it wouldn't have been for Norman Vincent Peale, I probably wouldn't have made it through a, quite a few things. Let me tell you, it was he was just a, it, anyway. I won't go there. But in this chapter on attitude, you introduced the term able, able, uh, with the Wisconsin Badgers basketball team. What does able stand for, and how do we increase our energy levels when we're down? Because we were just talking about that. People can get down; they need to, you know, really get their energy levels up. Yeah, ABLE stands for attitude, body language, energy. And it's all about attitude influences body language, which impacts energy. And so when I work with a team or a group, I like to watch them before I even know why I'm there, before they know why I'm there. And uh, they don't know why I'm there, what I'm doing. And watch their body language, because that's going to tell me a lot about their attitude. If they miss three shots in a row, what happens to their body language? Are their shoulders slumped? Does the head does the head go down? Do they trot back rather than run back? Because that is going to affect the energy. And so we need good energy. And energy is not just physical. By definition, energy is mental and physical vitality and stamina. Can we stay locked in? You know, can 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 we keep focused on what matters most? But body language influences that. If our body language is bad, you know people don't have great energy. You see it. You walk into a restaurant or a store, somebody kind of slouched down. You just don't expect a great experience. But it all starts with attitude. So if we let our attitude get affected, if we choose the wrong response to something that happens to us, and we don't get to choose what happens, but we do get to choose how we respond. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's important that we make the right choice. If we make the right response, our body language is going to stay good. And our energy level is going to be maintained and focused on the things we can control. But if we choose a lousy attitude, a lousy response, and and then we misspend our energy, somebody cuts you off in traffic, you still have energy, but you're expending it in the wrong areas, honking the horn, shouting, and maybe holding up gestures. That's not a great, that's not a great use of your energy. So if we want better energy, and we have to watch our body language because that will tip us off that there's something up with our attitude and you can see the same in others. Attitude influences body language, which impacts energy. And so we have to especially guard and protect and build our attitude because there's too much at stake when we don't. I'm sure you remember this one. It's not your aptitude that determines your altitude. It's your attitude. Yeah. And that's that. That goes back to Zig Ziglar. Now, I'm dating myself. I guarantee you I'm dating myself. But that is a statement that, you know, when you think about it, it's not your aptitude that determines your altitude. It's your attitude. That one really, that stuck with me all my life, right? It is a classic. It is a classic. Now, you state that within the context of intentional mindset, that competitiveness is about competing with our former selves in a lifelong daily challenge for self-improvement in the accredited traits, uh, consistently, consistently rising our levels of mental toughness and killer instincts so that we can achieve our why. Um, what has to happen emotionally, physically, and psychologically 
to create this state of being. That's a huge statement you made there because you're saying that we're constantly competing, right? But we're really competing with ourselves. Right. Right. Ultimately that, and that requires a huge mental shift and change of focus for most people. Most people aren't even thinking in those terms, but it's a, it, it's something that when you do has, has significant ramifications. You know, let me give you an example. I, I, work with a lot of sales teams and you see in the car business, the average person, depending on what they're selling, sells 10 cars a month. So you've got the guy who used to sell 40 cars a month and now he's selling 20, but everybody else is selling 10, 12, 15. And he's still walking around like he's a superhero and he's half as good as he used to be because he's using the wrong basis for judging his growth and his success. He's comparing himself to how everybody else is doing, and they happen to be worse than he is, and he's about 50% of where he once was. If we, if he were more focused on improving those 10 accredited traits, and accredited is an acronym that represents the 10 traits that I present in the book, then he would be focused more on the things he can control. You can't control how much talent someone else has, what breaks they're going to get, how hard they're going to work or not, who they know or who they may not. But you can control those 10 things, your growth in those 10 things. And my contention is this, Greg, we all you know, have this desire, I want to be the best. But the key to being the best is first and foremost, continually focusing on being your best. If you continue to focus on being your best, you will probably be the best at what you do, but you'll be getting there the right way in a sustainable way and not with this false sense of accomplishment that you're the best because others are worse than you and you may not even be where you once were and you're content there so you'll never see how far you could go or how much you could get. It takes a shift. you got to shift that focus from out the window to in the mirror. Yep, looking at yourself, looking at yourself in the mirror and actually... I had a question about that mirror, um, and and I think let's see, did I lose that question? There was a question here about the, oh, the mirror, law of the mirror. The law of the mirror. I talk speak about the about law of the, the mirror in the book. Speak yes. about the law of the mirror, if you would, because there's well, the, the question the about it, it, it's the law of the mirror is not popular today, today, correct? <laughs> because it's about taking personal responsibility, and the law of the mirror says ultimately it is my personal decisions more than outside conditions that determine how far I go and how fast I get there. And I'm not saying in the law of the mirror that conditions are irrelevant. They are relevant. Uh, Conditions matter. They can make things tougher. But what I'm saying is that as we face those conditions, because we all go through stuff, but we all don't end up in the same place. As we face those conditions, if we will make better decisions, we can mitigate the adverse impact of those conditions. But if we surrender to conditions, if our focus is on conditions, we become a victim of those conditions. We it's all go vic- through different victim things. Victim mentality mindset. Victim mentality. Yes, it so, is. That's yeah. exactly what happens. I had a guy just recently, and I've known him for decades, and his life is not ending up the way that he'd like. And he proceeded to read off this litany, this mental litany he'd written in his mind of all his bad breaks, of all his bad luck. I had bad luck here and I had a bad break there and they didn't understand me here. And I, I, I'd said it very compassionately, but I said, you know, you, you, you don't have bad luck. You haven't had bad luck. 
you've made horrible decisions. <laughs> and you've like done that. it for as long as I've known you. He didn't like that. <laughs> he didn't. He, I, and, and you've done it for as long as I've known you. And I said, the good news is you can control your decisions. The decisions you've made brought you to where you're at now. If you want to be someplace different in the future, start making different decisions today. They're highly right. predictive of right. where you're going to end up. So the mirror is about looking in and, and not blaming your, your mom, where you grew up, what your background is, what school you went to, what school you didn't go to, your boss, your teammates, the economy, what the competitor is doing, all those things might have impacted you. But ultimately, you get to make the decision on whether or not you're going to do the next one right thing now. And then when that's finished, do the next one right thing now. You get to decide whether you're going to be disciplined, whether you're going to be positive, or whether you're going to be an undisciplined negative sloth that just coasts through life, whining about it's not doing enough to make you happy. You get to choose that. Those are decisions, but you better make the right one. Well, and I think, you know, we live in a world uh, where people like to make up stuff, then they start believing the stuff they make up. And then before you know it, they're living the stuff that they made up. But the reality is, is it was all made up to begin with, right? right. So the stories your friend was telling, there's only one person responsible for the stories. And I've always known that. And that's him. That's right. Um, nobody else. He can he can look outside of himself all he wants and blame this person or that person for his circumstances, but it isn't those people that are responsible, as you said, and I agree with you. It's decisions we make. I've made plenty of um incorrect decisions in my life, but you learn to live with them, right? That's right. Um That's right. so now you you speak about character. It's an mm. important element. I just did a Dr. Jim Laura. Um, the guy that wrote the uh, book called, um, uh, well, his new one is Leading with Character, but he's written a lot of books. But the one that we all remember is the one about um, uh, high performance, whatever it was, the power of full engagement, power yeah. of full engagement. And character is this, after this interview with Jim, I was like, wow, I was looking at character really differently, just like with your book. And you say, it's an element while achieving our why. What advice do you have about using our character and making the right moral, and Jim and I got into this, and ethical decisions, and how do we not veer off a course? Because he said, psychologically, we all have the ability to be unmoral and unethical about a decision we make. He said it could be a small one, but it could start small and turn into something major. I mean... Look at uh, Bernie Madoff. Look at right. uh, Donald Trump. Look at all these people in, in the world who had huge positions and fell from the throne uh, and did not have moral or ethical values or character. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Sometimes I say that I've said this too, Dave. It seemed like the world was going to hell in a handbasket is what they said. But And how did we get some of these people? I mean, and there's so many of them these days, Dave, so many of them. Right. So no, you need to be speaking to everybody out there who's really looking to build good moral and ethical character. Well, you know, character protects your talent. It, 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 it's what makes you someone who can last at what you do. And we've all seen immensely talented, gifted people that blow themselves up and nobody does yeah. them in. They self-destruct with poor character choices. Character is a choice. But most people, I, I believe, 
Greg, don't get clear enough up front about what their personal values are. And if you're not clear about what you must say yes to, you don't know what to say no to. And and if you if you are clear about what you must say yes to and you do say no to something that or, or you'd fail to say no to something that you should know better, you'll catch it quicker. We do all have character flaws or we're, we're, it's not about perfect. It's about progress. But part of character growth is being aware and not getting off track as often. And when you do get off track, making that course correction faster, I wish there were a more immediate negative consequence for poor character choices, that the consequence was immediate. And it would they come aren't along always and, immediate. They aren't always immediate. They don't they sometimes, know. No, I wish, I'm, I'm thinking of one in my mind that you're going to remember. So the CEO of Volkswagen made that decision regarding the emission thing, right? Do you remember that? Yep. Cost Volkswagen billions of dollars. Now that CEO is not the CEO anymore, but, right. but, but you and I could, we could start to list on a sheet of paper the numbers of bad decisions that you were talking about people have made that they shouldn't have made that turned out to be the demise of them. Well, ab- absolutely. And I think we're seeing more of it today because there is such an addiction today to instant gratification. I want to feel good now. I want to do what's good for me now. And and a lot of times instant gratification requires a, a character compromise. Yeah. And you, inst- lying is a form of instant gratification. I'm going to take that pressure off of me and say something that immediately makes me feel better, even though eventually it may catch up with me. Stealing is a form of instant gratification. I think I'll immediately feel better once I have that than I do without it. Uh, adultery, all these different things, pornography, all these things people get into that give them that quick thrill, but they are a bad decision and you repeat it over and over again, there is a day of reckoning. It does catch up with you. So you have to protect your character. In the book, I talk when we spend, you spend a week on each of those traits, by the way. Uh, after the book, after you read the book, there's a course that laid out that's laid out. You'll spend a week on attitude, on character, on competitiveness and rigor and so forth. And you'll grade yourself at the end of the day in seven aspects of each trait. So as people are going through those seven aspects of character, I have found that a lot of them don't even associate that with character, like being on time to work. They don't think that that's a character issue if you're late. They yeah. think it's just that they're disorganized. But <laughs> something like that, it's no... Being on time is keeping a commitment. And if you fail to keep a commitment, that is a character flaw, yeah. right? Blaming someone else, that's a character flaw. Yeah. Stealing someone else's credit, it's still stealing. I mean, a lot of the things we don't, we think character is lying, cheating, stealing, you know, that, and that certainly is, but there's so much more to it. How you receive feedback. Somebody goes to give you feedback and you're so prideful, you want to argue with them. You're more interested in being right than in getting better. That's a pride issue, which is at the root of all character flaws. And so it's creating awareness during that part of the book that character covers a lot. Well, humility. You lie, cheat, or steal, and you can improve it with better values and decisions. Yeah, and I look at that where you're being critiqued as humility. You've got to be humble. Uh, CEO, that's one of the biggest character traits I think they have to have these days is the ability to be humble. Now, you often said that people, um, it is often said, you didn't say this in the book, but I'm saying it often said that people are generally lazy. Um, I'm not certain that I agree, but in your chapter on effort, you discuss the importance of bringing all you can to your role daily. 
So in other words, like, hey, we're going to give it everything we got. What advice would you give the listeners about bringing all they can, okay, and sustaining this effort on a daily basis? Well, there's, there's a few things there. You know, first of all, it's almost cliche to say, bring all you can. It's easy to say. What I'm talking about there in a couple areas, first of all, you have to have reasons to do it. And that goes right back to your why. You have to have reasons why there, this today is not going to be a throwaway day. Uh, I'm going to work hard today. It doesn't matter if it's early in the month, middle, late. It doesn't matter. Things are going well or bad. There's too much at stake not to work hard. But it also means giving all you have to the things that matter most. Too many people go to work and they don't work on the right things at work. So I talk about having a daily routine where every day you are identifying those priorities as basic as it sounds. It's often not done. People go in and they pick up where they left off the day before. They go in without a plan. They start reacting to what's going on and they glorify busyness. And they're not focused enough on productivity. They mistake motion for progress. So giving all you can, first of all, is determining those priorities. And that's a handful of them. You can't call. You can't say you have 20 of them. That totally destroys the concept of a priority. It's a small handful of key activities that I'm going to go in and attack today. I'm going to give more effort to those things because they're very predictive of taking me to where I want to go. And once I've identified them up front, if I get off track, which I will, stuff happens. Now I know where to go back to. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things I'm reviewing every morning as part of my mindset routine. I call it my landing place. If I get off track, what are the four things I must get done to There may be 40, but what are the four that are most influential to creating the result I need to create today? Now I know where to start. Now I know where to give more energy, resources, time, you know, money. If I get off track, I know what to get back to. Most people are not intentional about that. They put in a lot of hours without enough concern about putting the right things in those hours. And because they never decide up front what they must say yes to that day, they don't know what to say no to. And they're spread a mile wide and an inch deep. So it's identifying what must be done and giving more time and effort to them. And when you get off track, getting back to them. And then another thing, actually working at work. Too many people go to work. They do not work at work. There's not structure in their day. I see people, they go in, they clock in, they sit down, they eat breakfast. Yeah. Okay. That's not working at work. Just having a structured routine where you are actually doing productive things at work. If you do that, you don't have to spend as much time there. You're working smarter. You don't have to work longer all the time. Well, and I think too, if people go to learntolead.com and they download that workbook on mindset, or not mindset, they, they download it on why, right? That is really going to help them a lot along with the book, which the book is kind of like an instructional course as well. But we want to send people to learntolead.com, correct? We'll have a link. Uh, that's the primary place where you want them to go. And with that, I want you to speak to listeners about uh, Learn to Lead, your insider club, and how they can sign up for the course because you've got courses. You've got all kinds of videos up there they can watch for free. Um, That's I watched like five or six of them before we did the interview. So speak with our listeners about this. We're going to put a link to this on Amazon. Uh, You can also... Uh, can they get this book directly from you from the website or just Amazon? They, they sure can. Yes, they, they can. can. Okay. They, it, it's on a lot of the Barnes and Noble stores right now as well. So okay. they can, it, it's widely, it's widely available, but yes, learn to lead.com. Our company's learn to lead. We started it 22 years ago and I've taught the principles in 21 different countries now. So you can go there. Uh, there's a insider club. It's free. You sign up 
there are probably 500 different short articles on, on growth and sales management leadership. There are videos. The Why Workbook is there. Yep. Uh, there are resources that will also help you get more uh, out of the book, Intentional Mindset. The downloadable 70-day course diary is there. It's free too. It's in the back of the book, but this makes it easier to work with. And so learn to lead.com. And then we have all of our other books and video courses, uh, a lot of downloadable virtual uh, resources there that we're adding to all the time. We have our own production studio here at the offices, so we're creating a uh, new material all the time. You can access our most listened to podcasts uh, right from the Insider Club and so forth. Well, and the good thing is, Dave, is that you know you're a consummate professional. Um, you've got many books besides this one. You also um, offer the ability for uh, corporate CEOs who are listening to this or mid-level managers that are hiring for companies. Dave's very inspirational. That's what I want to say. Uh, and motivational. But I love the inspiration as much as the motivation. Um, they can, you can, they can hire you, uh, to come speak for their company. Um, I didn't see your speaking fees at the website, but they can get into that based on inquiry if they want to do that. Um, and, uh, you can get the employees. Um, are you doing Zoom calls with employees now as well? We do. I do a lot of Zoom calls. Uh, Greg, I do a lot of individual Zoom calls uh, with okay. athletes, with teams, with business people, owners. And then we do, we do a lot of them with, with groups, kickoff meetings and so forth. We have our own training center here as well at the offices. It's 5,000 square feet. We limit it to a certain number of attendees. It's called the Elite Center. It's a very uh, elite experience for a seminar, and our list of classes is on the website as well. We have a select number of those throughout the year, but it's good to see the travel picking up again as well. And yeah, and uh, I've been yeah. on the road uh, speaking with groups just about every week, and it's it's fun to get back in the live arena. It, aspect it, of it. I, it is most of my speakers who I and authors and speakers have experienced the same thing as you. But blessings to you, my friend. Thanks for another great book. Uh, the Intentional Mindset, go to Dave's website, learntolead.com. It, again, we'll have it there. Um, you can look for Dave there. You can see his books. You can get to his Insider Club. Uh, you can join. You can download that Why book. And if I was going to tell anybody, if you're going to get this book, get the Why book as well. Get the Why book. Um, it's free. It's free. So, Blessings to you. Thank you so much for being on Inside Personal Growth and spending some time with my listeners. And and thanks for your uh, generosity, too, as well. Oh, blessings to you, Greg. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be able to share with you and your, and your group today. Thanks so much. Take care.